Today's Five Clubs podcast is brought to you by Golf Pride. Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't only a grip. It's the one piece of equipment in your hands on every single shot. You might not know it, but it has a huge impact on your game. In fact, Golf Pride recently conducted a first-of-its-kind study showing the impact of worn versus new grips. It showed that on average, a focus group of adept golfers gained an extra two yards of carry when they played with new grips. So what are you waiting for? Refresh your grips. Refresh your game. Visit GolfPride.com today to learn more. Golf Pride. Respect the grip. Hello and welcome to the Wagyu Filet Show on Five Clubs. I am Johnson Wagner, uh, joined alongside, as always, by Brendan Filet Diong. Filet, what is happening this fine day? Hello, Wags. Nice to see you. And I, I got to say, I'm pretty excited about spending some time with you this morning. Uh, that's a, a far cry from where we were about 10 years ago. I'm excited <laughs> to spend some time with you too, buddy. Um, well, the PGA Tour's new signature series is underway and the first one is complete. The century is in the books. Uh, Chris Kirk, an incredible winner at 29 under par, winning by one stroke. But to me, the big story this week was just the amount of low scores. Let's say you're a guy like Lucas Glover, who won a couple times at the end of the year, had a nice run in the playoffs. I know he played the Bahamas early in December, Tigers event, the Hero World Challenge. But he comes in with a ton of rust goes out and shoots 19 under par and finishes T29. Just absolutely shocking what we saw this week. Yeah, nothing like a kick in the ass to get your season going. But yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about this golf course. You, you obviously know it much better than I do. As you like to point out, I never won, so never made it there. But uh, you do know this golf course very, very well. Talk, talk to the viewers about it because those scores were absolutely ridiculous. Well, it, it's built to be played in, in heavy, heavy winds, you know, 25, 30 miles an hour. The green speeds are built for that as well. Uh, lots of slopes, lots of uh, long par fours that generally play downwind. And other than a little bit on Thursday and a little bit on Saturday, the wind was really benign, especially Friday where we saw a record scoring average over five and a half strokes under par for the field. Not one single person shot even par or worse on that Friday round. And then yesterday, just completely benign conditions. And uh, it's amazing what, what the guys were able to do and go out there on a golf course that has, honestly, in these kind of conditions, three par fives that are basically par fours. I heard Kevin Kisner on the telecast basically call it a par 69 in these conditions. And, and I couldn't agree more. And when you when you don't have wind like that and greens that are uh, running at 10 on the stint meter, just putts were going in galore. Yeah, you know, that, that 17th fairway, I know you're hitting from a very elevated tee there, but that fairway is 80 yards wide. I mean, nobody's missing those fairways. And it, it just seemed like, you know, that when there's no breeze, there's just no trouble that these guys can get into. And as you say, the course becomes kind of defenseless. Yeah, and Chris Kirk, uh, speaking of that 17th, Chris Kirk said in a post-round interview, he said that he thinks that that shot he hit was a five iron from 209, called it 192 downhill adjusted I think about a 17-yard drop from, from 200 yards really puts the dramatic elevation change to perspective. He called that shot the best shot of his career, basically icing the tournament. Uh, when he hit it, Sahith was putting on the 18th green for birdie, misses it. Kirk hits it up there, stony, tap in on 17, and all he had to do was play a, a downhill, downwind, really wide par five and par to win the golf tournament. Yeah, I mean, what a magnificent shot. And that, that's to a flag that doesn't necessarily look very comfortable to Chris Cook. Loves to move everything right to left. That flag's over there perched on the right side of the green. If he hangs one out there, he's got a really difficult up and down from that right side. So step steps up with big balls and hits something in there two feet and locks up the tournament. 
He certainly did, and we saw a lot of guys miss over there to the right. Sahith hit a really bad chip from pin high right, ended up making that 10-footer or so for par to stay right there. And uh, Jordan Spieth plugging the ball in the bunker on the 16th. He was really making a run, led the field in strokes gained putting this week. It was a really uh, sort of a, a tough way for him to kind of play himself out of contention. Reminded me a little bit of Victor Hovland at the PGA last year at Oak Hill when he plugged it in the lip of the bunker on uh, 16 as well. But uh, a wonderful tournament. And, you know, I, I would think Chris Kirk is not necessarily – one of those guys that you think of when you think of signature events this year, granted he won the Honda classic last year, but when you think of these signature events, you're thinking big, huge names. And now Kirk is now a six time winner. He's a big name to me, but uh, a lot of people, this is, this is a good start to the signature series. And I think if we can get more tournaments like this with that many players having a chance to win, I may be singing a different tune because I know you and I both have been a proponent of more cuts in these events and having more players have the opportunity to win. No, it did. It turned out in a, a, a wonderful event. It really does. And we need to find some kind of terminology for where Chris Kirk fits. He's definitely not a mule. He's not one of the huge names in the game, but he's somewhere in between. And, you know, it was it was great to see him hold on and uh, beat some of the biggest names down the stretch. Yeah, and coming down the stretch, he hit a beautiful drive off 15, really aggressive down that right side, hit a great shot in there. And, and I just felt like for a guy that shot 29 under on that back nine, he it seemed like that putter got a little bit tentative, especially on 15. He had that eagle putt down the hill, kind of left it short and right and did that a number of times on the back nine, but still never put himself in any danger whatsoever of making a bogey throughout the entire day. Yeah, you know, he did what he does. He becomes almost robotic with that golf swing. He aims up that right side and just hits that draw with absolutely every single shot. And I mean, it did. That driver was on a string. Again, it's not the most difficult driving golf course in the world, but had it on a string. And it's it's a lot easier to play that golf course from the fairway than it is from that tricky Bermuda rough. Yeah, and Chris Kirk, his story's been well documented. I don't want to go into it, but his his you know recovering from alcoholism, the way he's rededicated himself to his family, it, it certainly is heartwarming to see him have all this success. And I know you and I both have known him for a long time. We we shared the same agent with Chris, and uh, I remember he won the Ben Hogan Award back in I believe he played Colonial in two thousand eight, which is was was the first time I met him. He and I, I had my wife Katie and his girlfriend now now wife tawny the four of us went out to a dallas stars hockey game that week we had an absolute blast i i, I knew immediately that kirk was going to be one of those guys that i wanted to hang out with on tour and we we came back after the game went to this little local pub to watch the end of some other games and there was this you know those punch sort of arcade games where yeah. it's like a punch meter and i'm looking at this little just you know, 115 pound dripping wet dude. And I'm like, Hey, Chris, let's go, uh, let's go try out this punch meter. And he's like, I'm going to crush you. And I'm like, there's no possible way you're going to crush me. We probably put in $15. I just kept going time and time again. And, and I felt like a, I felt like a baby compared to him. He absolutely crushed me on his punch meter. So from that moment on, I knew I was never going to get in a fight with Chris Kirk. And also he's held it above my head for as long as I've known him, that I'm basically, as you know, a complete weakling. Yeah, that, that does not surprise me one little bit. I don't think you should challenge anybody to anything involving strength, but uh, that uh, that does make me very happy to hear that. <laughs> uh, what, what's your first experiences with Kirky? I remember um, Jimmy, you speak of our agent, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy reached out to me and I had lost my card in 2007 and the Nationwide Tour, as it was then, now the Corn Ferry Tour, always used to start overseas in Australia and New Zealand. And he essentially reached out to me and asked if I could 
take Chris Kirk under my wing for those two weeks. He knew that I was well traveled. Yeah, well, it was. Uh, he knew that I was well traveled. Knew that I had spent a lot of time abroad. Chris was kind of. Uh, I don't want to call him a little redneck from Georgia, but he uh, he hadn't traveled a whole lot around the world. So Jimmy reached out to me, and uh, I tell you what, I had so much fun with him for those two weeks. He's so easygoing, and as you say, you you can tell right away he's one of those guys that you want to hang out with, you want to spend some time with. Um, he met a bunch of my African buddies over there that were living in Australia at the moment, fit right in with those guys. And as I say, we just had so much fun for those two weeks in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's just one of those guys. He's got a great young family now, three boys. Tawny, his wife, is just an absolute doll of a person. Uh, really, really quality family. So happy for him and get this this win. And just think about how it set him up for the rest of this year. And basically, with 700 FedEx Cup points, he's a virtual lock to make the top 50 next year and to continue to be in all these signature events. And so uh, when you think about playing with freedom, what that gives you, like yeah. he has the ultimate yep. freedom. He's already back at Kapalua. Uh, he, no sweat on the schedule. He's in all the majors. He's in all the signature events. This is a, a big, big win for him. And interestingly enough, as we look at the start of the year, uh, we've noticed a lot of different caddy changes. T tell me about you know, what you know about Chris Kirk and, and how his, uh, his, how he structures his caddy setup. You know, he's one of those guys that honestly, he doesn't really care who carries his bag. It's uh, he wants someone out there. He feels like he gets sick of somebody after three or four weeks. It, it doesn't sound nice, but that's, that's how he is. And he's figured out what works best for him. He doesn't want to be getting into that rut of, hearing the same stories, talking about the same stuff week after week. And he does, he, he got sort of six or seven guys at the start of the year, kind of will map out a schedule for these guys. And he goes, that's how he goes about it. And it's been very successful with it. He certainly has an, a good friend of mine, Scott Sajnik, an Australian caddy who just ended this past season with Brant Snedeker. Uh, it was the year Chris Kirk finished second in the um, and Sag caddied for him one week. They missed the cut, but Kirk made this giant bonus on that FedEx Cup finish. And what he did for all six or seven caddies that caddied for him, he divided the the uh, the bonus up per week. And Scott Sajnik, who <laughs> missed a cut, never thought he'd talk to Chris Kirk again, got a nice bonus check at the end of the year from Chris. So it, it may not sound like he's a real caddy-friendly guy switching up all the time, but the guy is salt of the earth and treats caddies with a ton of respect. And everybody, all the caddies that I know, want to get in that rotation because the guy just plays good golf all the time. Yeah, I love hearing stories like that. That that's the way to go about it. You know, um, certainly doesn't have to do that. He's not obliged to write all the caddies a check. Could have just paid the guy that caddied for him at the end there. But I, I love hearing stories like that. And it kind of goes to show what kind of a guy Chris Kirk is. It certainly doesn't. I mean, the first term of the year, you're you're always seeing a lot of changes being made between that player caddy relationship. This year, absolutely no exception. The phenomenal as we both would like to say, should have been rookie of the year. Ludwig Obert had a new caddy on his bag. Joe Scovran jumped ship from Tom Kim to Ludwig, which, uh, you know, they won twice. Joe won twice with Tom Kim, and he's a three-time winner, uh, did a President's Cup with him. But I think that just goes to show what everybody in the business is thinking about the what's the ceiling for a guy like Ludwig. That was the caddy change, and we'll get into more of, of the ones that did happen, but that, that's the one that surprised me the most. I thought um, Joe Scovran and Tom Kim had a good rapport starting out. They uh, they looked like they were getting on really well on the golf course and were having some success. And listen, I understand that Ludwig Ober's, um upside is massive, but 
I would put him at 1A and Tom Kim at 1B as far as that upside goes. Tom Kim's only 21 years old. I know Ludwig's only, what, three years older than that. But I was very, very surprised to see Joe Scovern make that move. Yeah, after all the success, and, and there's been some there's been some other ones I saw. Uh, Tom Hoagie was with Henry Diana for a long, long time. And I think it's uh, James Edmondson is on yeah. the bag. James was a long-time caddy for Ron. And then he left Ryan to go caddy for Davis Riley, who they got their first win last year. So James Edmondson going like Hoagie, that's a pretty nice Hoagie's going from one legend to another legend. Like it's amazing how these jobs, uh, they change place, they change places and, and good caddies, uh, seem to find good bags no matter what. Yeah. You know, that, that one made more sense to me. I think James and Hoagie play a lot of golf at colonial together that, uh, that one did make some sense. They do spend a lot of time together, know each other's personalities well. And, uh, James definitely knows Tom Hoagie's, uh, Hoagie's game very, very well. Um, Tell me about the one. This this was another one that it, it didn't surprise me. The uh, the splitting up of Paul Tesori and Cam Young. Yeah, uh, I mean that, that it seemed like at first it was going to be a great fit. Um, Webb and and Paul Tesori caddy for Webb Simpson for a long time, and Webb and Cam Young are both Wake Forest Demon Deacons. They they played a lot of practice rounds together. So when Webb decided to to sort of you know, back down his schedule a little bit, only playing maybe 15 or so events a year. Uh, he encouraged Paul to go caddy for Cam Young. And their first week together was the match play last yeah. spring where they lost in the finals to Sam Burns. So it seemed like, okay, Paul Tesori is going to be the caddy that gets Cam Young into the winner's circle for the first time. And the sky is going to be the limit for this duo. And it just didn't seem to pan out throughout the course of last season. Yeah, and honestly, I, I don't want to act like I know what I'm talking about here, but it it, it was one that didn't add up to me when uh, Poltisori went to Cam Young. I think that Cam Young and Webb Simpson are polar opposite personalities. Paul and Webb got on great. They both love to yuck it up on the golf course. They both love to chat. Cam Young, much more stoic, likes to do his own thing, likes to be left alone. And you could tell during the season last year, there were times when Cam Young would be walking and Paul's kind of next to him trying to chat it up and Cam Young sort of walking away from him, trying to get away, just sort of be with his, be with his thoughts. Um, you know, we were completely different on the golf course. You used to love to chat on the golf course. You needed a caddy to do that with you. I was the other way around. I like to be really quiet on the golf course. And I had a caddy that, well, I had to be really quiet because he wouldn't say boo to a goose. Who's that, Phil? Yeah. yeah Phil, 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 Phil wanted to do was get in the gym. He didn't give a shit about being on the golf course. Yeah, but you also had a caddy, Doug Tyler, D-Bear, who was one of the funniest dudes around, and he kind of kept you loose during a couple of your best seasons. Doug was was a big part of that. Yeah, yeah that, that's very true. Um, I had so much fun with D-Bear on the golf course, and you know, God rest his soul. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago now. Um, when he quit drinking, that kind of was the end of our, our relationship out there. The, the stories dried up with the bear, unfortunately, but he was, uh, he was such a great guy and just a heart of gold. Certainly was. And so speaking of like legendary caddies, always finding a bag, Paul Tesori, uh, didn't take long to pick up a guy that finished in the top 30 and who's had a resurgence in his career. Now he's going from Cam Young, who is one of the longest players on the PGA tour to Brendan who is arguably the shortest player on tour, especially since you're not playing anymore and your stats aren't registered, Brendan. But uh, uh, they started off great. Final group going into Saturday. Like I, I don't know what went wrong over the weekend for B. Todd. Yeah, dream start for those guys. You know, sort of there was no honeymoon phase. They jumped straight into it. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very different for, uh, as you say, Paul Sorry going from someone that absolutely smashes it to 
for lack of a better word, just powder puffs it out there in Brendan Todd. Um, it's it's going to be tough. I, I Honestly, I hate to say it, and I hate to be a naysayer, but I don't see that relationship lasting. Okay. All right. Well, I, 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 I mean, Brendan has done a wonderful job the last couple of years of finding the right places to go play, and he makes his money in those select events. But those venues on the PGA Tour for a shorter hitter are shrinking every single year. You still have Sony open next week, which would you would think would be a great fit for Brendan. Yep. Uh Hilton Head, um, <laughs> Colonial, but Colonial's not that short anymore after all these renovations. Like Colonial's got some big boy carries, and you talk about caddying for a guy that can carry his driver 315, 320 in the air to a guy that's carrying it 265, 275. That's a that's a lot of calculations that he's got to get used to, but maybe more a little bit in the Webb Simpson range. I'm going to give that relationship. I think I think they've got a chance. B Todd had uh, Clarky on the bag the last couple of years, and Clarky was a another VJ Singh caddy. VJ was one of those guys that could train a caddy. I mean, I think all these guys we're talking about. Chad Reynolds is another one on a new bag this week with Patrick yeah. Rogers. Chad, Tesori, um, all these guys were, were kind of cut their teeth under that VJ Singh uh, work ethic. Yeah, they uh, they know what it takes to work hard. And well, Brennan Todd will work hard. Um, as again, I hate to be a naysayer, but I just don't see that relationship lasting. You saw something interesting out of B Todd on Sunday. I, I missed this, but I want to hear more. I want to hear more about it. He hit one of my tee shots, one of those ugly high right things out of bounds. And uh, it just spur of the moment thing, snapped the driver over his knee, had to play the last four holes without a driver. Um, yeah, you could tell right away he knew when he had done He's like, oh, shit, what have I done? It's always a horrible feeling. Um, <laughs> it, it brings me to a story. So I was, this was back in 2004. I was fresh faced out of college. My first year on the nationwide tour, then corn, uh, excuse me, corn ferry tour, then nationwide tour, um, playing in Raleigh, which I think was just the fourth or fifth event of the season. You, if you remember, it took so long to get started. We'd go overseas and we'd play Louisiana and then we'd be in Raleigh sort of fourth or fifth event. And, um, I played nicely the first two rounds. And I'm playing Saturday with Garrett Willis and Scott Gachevsky. And uh, the round starts out with, I don't know if you remember this in Raleigh, they had those two old guys that used to announce you on the first oh, yeah. Sweet as can be old guys. Wearing, wearing knickers plus four, right? Yep, that's it. Wearing knickers. And this guy's in the middle of his, his announcement. And as he's announcing Garrett Willis, Garrett fires, like in the middle of his announcement. So I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's kind of a dick move anyway. So we, we move along, whatever. And, uh, we get to the seventh hole in Raleigh, the little par three with the, the sort of creek that runs around the whole green. And Garrett, we got a front right flag, and Garrett hits this shot in there, lands just underneath the hole, but there's a bit of a false front. Comes off the false front, back down into the creek, short of the green. Gets up there. He hasn't realized that it's come all the way. So I can see right now that the red mist is starting to kick in a little bit. <laughs> Gets up there, chips it up there to about six feet throws the club at the bag. So I'm thinking that's the end of it. Goes up there, marks his ball, turns around and runs at his golf bag and spears it. <laughs> this may sound far-fetched. Spears his golf bag. Clubs go everywhere. Three or four of these clubs go down into the hazard. Luckily, it's dry <laughs> enough to where his caddy can get it out. So I think this is just the funniest thing I've ever seen. And if you remember, Piggy was caddying for me. Oh, Piggy, yeah, I, Piggy's the man. And I look over at Piggy, and Piggy, 
um, he had the most distinctive laugh, and Piggy's just laughing. He used to give it that. <laughs> <laughs> like his whole body's convulsing and laughing. And uh, so I think this is the end of it. Garrett Willis picks his bag up and then drop kicks this thing. The whole thing goes down into the hazard. Now his caddy's got to go down there and collect all this, all the golf clubs in the bag anyway. Gets up there, misses the putt, makes double or triple, whatever it is. And the best part about it is that you need to ride from seven green up to the eighth tee. So this volunteer has been watching this whole thing going on. And I'm just waiting for this volunteer to, to ask Garrett what kind of a day he's having. But, uh, <laughs> and uh, Garrett looks at me and without a, without a, there's not a lie. He looks at me. He's like, I really don't appreciate you laughing at my misfortune. <laughs> <laughs> and, what what how else are you supposed to react? You supposed and that's to what I, 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 and I listen, I was a, I was a rookie on tour. This guy just won on the PGA tour a couple of years ago. So I said, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, whatever, bad luck. And we kind of went along from there, but it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, uh, he, he was a character. He was uh man. I think he, I'm not going to go into too many Garrett Willis stories, but he was a character to play with. That's for yeah. sure. You ever break a club on the golf course? I did. I broke a club once in college. I broke a putter over my uh, over my foot, and it wasn't intentional. I was trying to whack the, you know, when you whack the bottom of your shoe, and I kind of bent it there in the hosel. Um, felt pretty stupid there. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've got some good stories about breaking clubs. Uh, yeah, I did the same thing in college one time. I'm not going to go into that story, but then yeah, I've I've I, I don't consider myself an angry golfer, but I've broken. I would probably say 10 clubs in competition on the PGA tour. Um, it's not, that not surprises my, me. Not my, not my proudest moment. 2013 Matt Hauser's on the bag. It had it coming off my best year ever. I was on the West coast and, and it wasn't going well. And I was very frustrated and just angry, uh, not having a good time playing golf. And we're at the, the Phoenix open 15. Uh, I think it's Saturday. <laughs> it's a, uh, par five water down the left-hand side. I completely snipe my driver into the hazard and I'm now just fuming, have to basically drop up on the, yeah. uh, the forward tees, lace this three iron down the middle. And this three iron, it was an old tailor-made rocket balls, three iron. It was probably the best club in my bag at that time. After I lace it down the middle, middle of the fairway, the ball's not even stopped rolling yet. Snap it over my knee. I take the head and chuck it out into the middle of the lake. And I look at the grip end and I look at the grip end. I chuck it out in the middle of the lake and I just start storming down the fairway. At this point, Matt Hauser starts cackling, laughing. And I turn around and said, what the hell are you laughing for? This isn't funny. And he's like, look over in the water. And the grip was sticking straight up, bobbing down. Like a shark. It was like, yes, it was bobbing and it was following us. It, it followed us like all the way down to the ball. It was, uh, it, it, it put me in a better mood better mood immediately but uh yeah i get the frustration out of b todd breaking the driver it happens to all of us um when i break clubs i try to break ones that i can replace easily uh like lob wedges um, yeah. they're really fun to break and and if you're gonna break them go ahead and break them don't 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 try to bend it or whatever if you're gonna break it take it over your knee bring your arms to the sky and just go ahead and snap that thing yeah it's funny you say that actually one that does come back to mind now is i i was playing riviera a few years ago and um it was my final hole and i plugged one in the kukuyu but if you remember the oh. balls used to plug in the kukuyu but it would never break the surface so yes. you'd never get relief and i was convinced that this thing had broken the surface so i got a ruling got a second opinion they wouldn't give me relief anyway i hacked it out of there whatever and i made i think i made six and I turned around and I whacked the whacked the bag, 
with the butt of the club. So I wasn't trying to break it, but I whacked the bag with the bottom of the butt of the club, put the wedge back in. Going the next day, playing, uh, I teed off early in the morning the next day, played number one, played number two. And when I got the club out, it was a massive dent in the shaft of my 54 degree. So <laughs> called, called the rules official over there. And he's like, well, this is your second hole. He's like, did you use it on the first hole? I was like, no, I didn't use it. He's like, well, don't use it now, but that's a four stroke penalty because I'd played two holes, two on each hole. Even though you didn't, even though you didn't use the club, it, you had it in your bag, and it was yeah. a penalty. Yeah, wow. if I'd used it, I would have been disqualified. But the fact that I didn't use it, it meant it was just a two-stroke penalty for the first and the second. Jeez, that seems kind of harsh. Speaking of breaking stuff, our Carolina Panthers. I want to, I want to, I want to do something to, to David Tepper. He has broken. <laughs> he has broken our entire thing. I, what, what did you say? This is we scored zero points the last two weeks of the season. We have not scored a point in the last 120 minutes of football. And, you know, you mentioned Dave, David Tepper. This guy's come in here and taken over from one of the most beloved owners. Jerry Richardson was Carolina through and through, Wofford guy, did so much in the community here. David Tepper steps in and, I mean, for lack of a better term, we've gone to shit. All, all three, all three of our head coaches we've had, uh, Rivera, what's his name from Baylor, and and now Frank Wright have all Matt been fired Rowe. in the middle yeah. of the season. Like, what is going to make a coach or a free agent player want to come play for this guy? Not to mention just a couple of weeks ago when he poured a, in someone else's stadium in Jacksonville, poured a, a drink on top of an opposing fan's head. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's what, what what's this a- guy got to do? There was a hefty fine there, that 300K for throwing a drink at somebody. I love to see that. But um, you were saying that you had some friends at the game yesterday and the, the crowds turned on him, and, and so they should. They, they, they turned on him, and at the end of the game, the game's over, the whole crowd starts chanting, sell the team, sell the team. And, and I mean, he's he's hated here. You're an MLS, uh, Charlotte uh, MLS team yep. fan, and, and he's fired multiple coaches there. I just, I don't know. He, he egomaniac he wants to win immediately and has no patience to let anything play out and I, i'm personally i'm a season ticket holder for for the past almost nine seasons this is my end of my eighth season as a season, season ticket holder i went to one game this year had no interest in going to the game this past weekend and uh yeah I, i'm i'm, I'm kind of at my wits end with it yeah it's sad and we were talking there for a little while the atlanta falcons game when they came to carolina about three weeks ago listen i understand the weather was terrible but they were trying to sell tickets for 50 cents and they wouldn't couldn't get rid of them i think they had 1500 fans at the game which is it's just despicable and it's it's sad being being a carolina fan that that we're going through this at the moment and that unfortunately the root of the problem is our owner right Feel bad for our number one pick, Bryce Young, who we gave the world to the Chicago Bears for. I feel bad for him having to come into this system and have a a second or th- technically a third head coach starting next year. We just fired our general manager um, Monday morning after the game, and, and, and like it's just it's a total fire sale, and it doesn't seem to be really any chance of, of of changing anytime soon. Yeah, it's such a horrible feeling that every game we lose, it doesn't really matter because we're not getting a first-round pick this year. And it, it is. It's it's sad. And uh, listen, again, who who would want to come work for this guy at the moment? You said it. Um, it's it's going to take somebody getting offered a very, very nice lucrative contract. <laughs> which is Which is not – that is not a good thing. I mean, we're – uh, I don't know, but fortunately I'm born and raised in Amarillo, Texas, and I grew up a Cowboys fan, so I can still claim the Cowboys this season. I know you follow the Packers. Jordan loves playing great. They're limping into the playoffs and uh, man, I wouldn't want to play the Packers personally. 
No, I can't believe that they backdoored their way into the playoffs like they did. Um, yeah, it's a it's fun to see. It's fun to see keep that streak going and nine and eight got them in there. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's been tough to be a Panthers fan, and uh, well, the NFC South in general has been absolutely shocking. I mean, for, for since, I mean, for the last three seasons, I basically, a, a one win above a, a one, one game above a 50, 50 season wins the, the division, which is, which is shocking. Uh, and you get a host of playoff game like the Tampa Bay Bucks do next weekend. Um, want to get into the Roy McElroy comments from earlier in the week, uh, seems to be changing his tune a little bit on live. What, what, what do you make of that? Well, one thing that caught my attention there was he said, Essentially, I would be fine if Liv turned into the IPL. For those people who don't know, the IPL is the Indian Premier League cricket. There was a lot of pushback when they tried to originally start this back in 2008. The cricket boards of the countries didn't want their players going to play in the IPL because essentially they'd be losing them for two weeks. But the IPL was offering so much money to these guys that they couldn't say no. So a lot of guys were not signing contracts with their cricket boards because they wanted to go out and chase this money. The uh, the cricket boards softened their stance on this. They made a, a pact essentially with the BCCI, which runs the IPL, to not play international cricket during that two-month period. So this was understood that they were going to have two months off where they will be playing in the IPL. Now this thing started in 2008. So we're 15 years in and it's become an $11 billion franchise and the most popular cricket tournament around the world. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, that's a great point. And I, I, I don't, I don't follow cricket. I do, I do love watching it when I'm, when I'm abroad, but, um, and that's something I think the game of golf is at a point right now where there's no way around uh, working at a deal out with the PIF, uh, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. They have proven that they are willing to put just ridiculous amounts of money into it. So I, I my personal, what I'd like to see happen with, with PIF and the PGA Tour would be to let the players all come back and play the PGA Tour. And now that we've created this long fall, basically uh, – the live tour can, can maybe take some players that are, that haven't gone and, and we could have like a, a four or five tournament series in the fall for the top 48 players in the world that want to go play and give them a chance to, to go, go play globally, make a ton of money. There's gotta be a way to work this whole thing out. And, and would you say the fact, obviously John Rahm going over there and now Rory McIlroy softening his stance on, uh, on the PIF, would you say that that is, kind of leaning towards that something is heading in the right direction right now. I, I, I think it has to be. I know the tour just pushed back the date until what March 31st or yeah. so for a deadline to make a deal. Um, I think there's so many intricacies to this deal. How do the players come back? How does the structure look of, of live and PGA tour together? Can players play both? I think there's a lot of inner workings to figure out. And I think it's just going to take some time, but yes, I think they're, I think the tour I think the deal is moving in a positive direction. And I, I, I honestly, uh, for the, for the good of the game of golf, I, not that I have any issue with players going over, I've just personally hated the fracture in the game. And I think yeah. like most golf fans and most golfers, we just want to see the game. Like that's the greatest thing about the game of golf is that, uh, it's a gentleman's game. It lives kind of in harmony all the time. And it's just been so fractured and creating so much drama lately that, uh, that it's, it's, it's unfortunately it's hurting the fans more than anything. Yeah. And but I, I did like what Rory said that you know once I was able to take a step back and realize 
hang on a second. Not everybody's in my position. Not everybody is in Tiger Woods' position. There's guys that are being offered these life-changing sums. Why was I so judgmental in essentially judging these guys when they went over there? And I, um, again, yes, I agree with you 100%. I think that this John Rom firstly moving and now Rory softening his stance is definitely heading things in the right direction. It, it, it certainly is. And, and yeah, I, I, I respect Roy for coming out and it was really well received by a bunch of the live players and Greg Norman. Yeah. And, and had, I think there was a, there was a big divide there between Rory and a lot of those guys. And I think that's, he's kind of taking the high road and trying to mend those fences, which is good. Uh, let's get back to the century in Kapalua just for a sec. World yeah. number one, Scotty Scheffler, oh. uh, a pretty darn impressive week, but it, it seems to me like his first two rounds strokes game putting, he was 27th. And then he was 19th. He actually gained strokes both those rounds. And uh, everybody's thinking, okay, are we going to see Scotty become an average putter and just dominate this? And then over the weekend, he was 51st on Saturday and 48th on Sunday. And for the week, ended up 45th in strokes gained putting, losing over a half a shot per day on the greens. And yet he still shoots, what, 20? I think he finished fifth. 25 under par. It's just mind-blowing what he's able to do. It really is. And, um, you know, he's saying all the right things about all the work that he's putting in with Phil Kenyon. But when push comes to shove, we still need to see the ball going in the hole. And I, I wanted to ask you a question, and this this might be a far long shot for him. But all right, we have seen notoriously bad putters going to this longer putting method. Ben on is an absolutely awful putter. He putted the ball very, very well this weekend. Lucas Glover was dealing with a shocking bout of the yips. He went to this method. He's putting the ball beautifully now. Uh, Akshay Batia, another guy that's not a great putter, trying something different. And I mean, he was up right around the lead going into Saturday. Is Scotty Scheffler getting close to being to that point? I, I don't I don't think so because mechanically, when you look at his stroke, mechanically it's so sound. My problem with Scotty is that especially come the weekend he really runs out of speed on putts and he's almost like lagging it from 15 feet. He never has a comeback putt because yeah. I think he's terrified of having that three, four footer. Um, so for me, like I've always thought about putting if the more aggressive you are on that, in that makeable range, let's say 10 to 20 feet and even yeah. short putts, I like banging short putts in the more aggressive you are there. Sure. You may three putt every once in a while, but you're going to make so many more putts than you're going to three putt and just have some confidence on those comebacks. I, I think if he could just be a little more aggressive with his speed, I think it would take care of everything because I don't see anything wrong mechanically. I, I don't, I think, I, I don't think there's any chance this season we would see him try something drastic with an arm lock or a broomstick. I, I think that's too early. I mean, I, I think if it continued for another two years, I see that, but the dude's still world number one. He was player of the year, which I, I know you disagree with. And I probably do too, but you can't vote a guy player of the year uh, in John Rahm, who has just left your tour during the middle of the, the player vote. But uh, no, I don't, I don't see Scotty making that drastic of a change. You know, one, th one thing I did see, and well, it took, took Kevin Kisner, who I think did a wonderful job on the, on the broadcast yesterday. He did point out yesterday that Scotty Scheffler's shoulders are very, very open at address with the putter, similar to the way he stands with the driver. And he said, that's fine. Obviously with the driver, he's standing with his shoulders open, trying to hit a fade. You don't want to hit a fade with the putter, so he was um, he was pointed this out that his shoulders were pretty open to where his feet were, and that to me would make a lot of sense why a lot of putts come up short. 
You're very, very open. It's a little bit of a wipe. It also makes sense why you'd hit a lot of putts out of the heel. We all know that faders like to catch the ball slightly towards the heel of the golf club. It made perfect sense. Um, I think that that's going to be something that's worth watching as we move forward. Maybe try and square those shoulders up just a little bit. That's a great point because when whenever I've putted poorly, I've always tried to, you know, on the practice screen, hit a draw with my putts because it gets that ball hugging the ground and rolling so much faster. And uh, it's, yeah, that's an uh, interesting insight. And I agree. I thought Kiz did a great job. Um, I, I mean, he's playing this week at the Sony Open. So uh, selfishly being in the business, I hope he goes out and wins. And he, and he you know, he says that he doesn't want to ever come back to the booth. But uh, yeah, I thought Kiz did a great job. Incredible yeah, insights. And having got knowing every player out there, it yeah. makes such a difference in that insight. So I like the the direction NBC's gone just a little bit younger for that chair. And, and uh, yeah, it seems like if Kiz wanted that position, it would be his. Yeah, I thought Kiz was great. I really did. You know, he's, he's enough of a smart ass, but uh, he's very, very knowledgeable. And, you know, if I was going to listen to anybody about putting, he would certainly be one of the guys that I would go to. Um, maybe Scotty Sheffield will go back and watch the rerun of this. It might be something that completely changes his year round with the putter. It really well could be. Hopefully, Kiz will get in his ear and maybe say something. Former yep. President's Cup teammates. Um, speaking of somebody who putted great, Jordan Spieth led the field in strokes game putting. Was a little loose with the driver as always, but uh, I mean, as you as you look forward to this year, Jordan didn't win this past season in twenty three. Um, but looking forward to this year, there's a lot of comps made between Kapalua and Augusta National just because of the 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 terrain change and the the awkward stances that you have in the ways a lot of guys that play well at Kapalua play well at Augusta and you know how much I love Jordan Spieth and I always yes, think he's going to win every time he tees it up but he was a blast to watch especially on Sunday rolling in all those putts it almost seemed like vintage 2015 Spieth just with an unfortunate break on 16. Yeah it was it was a terrible break there plugging that uh, the driver under the lip and I think Jordan is going to be competitive any place you get to use your imagination um, you know, obviously he's got the track record that speaks for itself at Augusta National. Every time he shows up there, he's one of those guys that you got to watch. Um, I think the majors this year in total, I know we talked about it uh, doing a preview show for uh, this year that the majors set up pretty good for him. I think um, Piner's number two might be the best of all of them. As difficult as it is around those greens, He's one of those guys that's very comfortable chipping off Bermuda grass, very comfortable using that leading edge. I think that Pinehurst number two, we're going to see Jordan Spieth. If not when, he's certainly going to be in contention late Sunday. Yeah, and given the fact that he's hits some foul balls every once in a while, a place like Pinehurst that doesn't have any hazards. I mean, the worst thing, you have to hit a pretty big foul ball to even get into the trees. It's just dunes, and that's where his creativity and artistic ability would come into play. I'm in agreement there. Anybody else jump at you, um, off, jump off the leaderboard at you this week with their performance? Um, listen, I, I'm always going to be very bullish on Ludwig Ober. I know he didn't have the kind of week that he wanted. He looked like he really struggled on the greens from what I watched, but finished with a 10 under par 63 on uh, on the final round there. So he's going to take some momentum moving forward. He's a guy that, and, and I know I've said it a few times, I would be very surprised if he's not a top 10, maybe top five player by the end of this year. Yeah, I mean, and this is a guy that still is yet to play in a major championship, which will be yeah. uh, really fun to watch him compete at, uh, at Augusta this April in his first major. Um, 
And he's one of these guys, uh, by my calculations, there are 36 players that played at Century out of 59 that are making the short hop over to Oahu and the Sony Open this week. Um, I personally think that it is a huge advantage to have played at Kapalua going over to Sony because you've had that week to shake off the rust a little bit, sharpen up your game in a kind of a low stress, no cut environment over there. And now you go play a, a, a flat very easy walking golf course in wildlife country club, an old school Seth Rayner design that's been tweaked a little bit the last couple of years, last probably eight years. They're making some minor tweaks and one of my favorite places on the PGA tour. Um, who are you looking for this week? You want to go ahead and make some picks? Yeah, we may as well go and make some picks. Um, but before I make a pick, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more and I hate doing that, but <laughs> it is, you cannot understate how important it is to play some competitive golf. These guys have all got four rounds under their belt. A lot of these other guys are flying into Hawaii. This will be their first competitive round in some of these guys, three, four months. Um, so, yes, I agree with you 100% there. Um, as far as who I'd like to pick this week, I'm going to go not really that far down. And a guy that did play at Kapalua, I'm going to pick Harris English. I think mm -hmm. Harris has had some past success at, um, at Wailai. He's a, a wonderful ball striker. Um, no holes in that game. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Harris show up this week. Yeah, I, I I love that pick. Harris, I, I thought he was going to make a run Sunday, um, was right there, had that great nine under Saturday to put himself in contention, just didn't quite have it uh, all day Sunday. Um, I'm going to go with a guy that really doesn't have a, a great track record at, at Sony. He's been on tour a number of years, didn't start playing at Sony until 22, where he finished 48th. And then last year finished 32nd in his first two starts. So he's, he's trending. And I think he's an incredible course fit. It's a guy that played last week. Uh, I can't believe I'm doing it because he's a UVA Wahoo, but I'm going with Denny McCarthy. He's going to get his first PGA tour win this week at the Sony open. Uh, and I think he's going to do it in a pretty solid fashion. I like that brave pick going, uh, going out on a limb there for sure. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see completely different golf course. Um, I know a place where you've had some past success. I, I remember that year very well. I was playing a couple groups in front of you and the group in front of me, the group in front of you. I struggled a little bit on Sunday and I kind of tucked my tail between my legs, headed off to the airport and, uh, didn't even stay around to watch you win that event. Now, I probably still owe you an apology for that, but, uh, yeah, it's a place where you've had some success for sure. Yeah, that's water under the bridge, Brendan. No worries. Yeah, I've played there probably 14, 15 times. I've made three cuts. I think I finished like 33rd my rookie year uh, in 07. I, I won there in 12, and then I made the cut maybe in 18 and finished 55th. So it was either feast or famine for me, uh, usually famine, but such a great week. Totally different vibe than Maui. Stay downtown Honolulu. Some of the best ramen food oh, I've, ramen i've ever had in my life ramen nakamura great spot it's certainly going to be a great week and uh looking forward to covering it with you next week yeah i can't wait man i absolutely love that golf course love the event love the vibe around it uh, yeah it should be a should be a fun recap for us no doubt about it well thank you everybody for listening and uh, we'll be back with you with another uh, wagyu filet show on five clubs real soon